listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast by Dr. T. Michael W. Halcom, Dr. Frederick J. Long, Dr. Mario Melendez, Dr. Jennifer Noonan, and J. M. Smith. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I am Michael Halcom, and in this episode, we're thinking about a fallacy of the week. Now, in this uh, discussion, what I want to bring forth is the idea, it's a hermeneutical idea, an interpretive idea known as the law of first mention. This was um, brought up in a discussion with a friend some time ago, and it's been kind of just lingering in my mind. And so what I did was I just wanted to do a quick Google search of law of first mention. And what I noticed was that a lot of the uh, prosperity teachers use this and a lot of the more um, well-known popular teachers like those who are writing popular books like to use this principle but by and large i think the the so-called law of first mention which is also called the hermeneutic of first mention actually doesn't have great legs to stand on so i'm going to just show you in a couple a couple examples here and uh the first one, if you're watching, it's going to appear on the screen here, comes from David Jeremiah's book, My Heart's Desire. And uh, he, uh, he mentions here, he says, those who study the Bible in a serious way sometimes refer to the law of first mention. It's not so much a law, really, as a common principle in the scriptures. Now, he's trying to give this law of first mention some credibility by saying those who study the Bible in a serious way obviously referring to scholars, but this isn't something I've seen scholars using or appealing to, and I'm a scholar myself. So there's that. Um, the appeal to authority here, I think it's, well, what authority? <laughs> it doesn't name the authorities. It's just generic. And anytime we see someone do that, a red flag should go up. It's a fallacy. He says, if you select an important biblical word, say worship, because he's just guessing about a word, right? <laughs> You'll find that its first biblical appearance sets the tone for all the richness of meaning that will emerge, that is, across all the scriptures. So the first time you encounter a word in scripture, he say, the, the law of first mention says that that meaning is the same meaning that carries all the way through Revelation, if it's in Genesis, for example. Now, this is quite curious because you would almost think that almost everything in Scripture is going to be mentioned in Genesis or in the Pentateuch, <laughs> but especially Genesis because it's the first Scripture um, in the canon. So does that mean we have to read everything through the lens of Genesis? Well, the New Testament writers are keen on reading you know, the Gospel writers like Mark and Matthew uh, are very keen on telling their story through the framework of the Exodus, or a large part of it anyway. So there's that. Um, you know, it's it's not mentioned in Genesis, but anyway. Um, he says, uh, through the word, we go on to find many new understandings and many variations on the theme. So he's saying, okay, you have that initial theme, but there can be some variations. He says, but the first cut is the deepest. The first mention gives us the essential picture. He's kind of contradicting himself here. He's wanting to have his cake and eat it too. The first mention is the most important, but there are variations. 
So it's kind of contradictory, which is a fallacy. He says, so what of worship? We initially find the word in Genesis 18. Abraham entertains three strangers who turn out to be the Lord. So this is in the context of the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative. He says, Abraham entertains three strangers who turn out to be the Lord and two angels. The scripture says that when he saw them, he, that is Abraham, bowed himself to the ground. Genesis 18.2 The Hebrew word for his action is the one we recognize as worship. It's an essential understanding of the concept. In a minute, we'll look at Genesis 18.2 and we'll look at it in the English, the Greek, the Hebrew. We'll continue reading here. He says, but the scripture's first mention of the word worship, as we understand it, in a more formal sense, the intentional act of worship, is found four chapters later in Genesis 22.5. Okay, so he's he's mentioning Genesis 18.2, right? That's supposed to be, right? The first cut gives the essential, the first mention gives the essential pictures, what he said earlier. It cuts the deepest. We mentioned Genesis 18.2, but then jumps right ahead four chapters to 22.5, where the Akedah, where Abraham's taking Isaac up the mountain, and Abraham says to Isaac, stay here with the donkey, or to his servant, stay here with the donkey, the lad, that is Isaac and I, will go yonder and worship. Abraham has climbed the mountain, he says, with his son, whom he intends to offer in sacrifice. Well, that's debatable. I've talked on the podcast about the idea that this was meant to be a dedication and uh, not a sacrifice, but things kind of go awry. Anyways, you can scroll back through earlier, way earlier podcasts for that. But he says, most of us recognize the story with a twinge of pain, one of the most gut-wrenching accounts in all the scriptures. God has allowed Abraham to wait for many years to have this child. Well, that's not true. God, Abraham could have had this child in one year, but uh, he kept screwing it up and screwing it up and getting in God's way and getting in his own way, and it ended up taking about 80 years. So that's incorrect as well. He says, not only his beloved son, but the precious seed of a promised nation. And now the obedient father really is obedient? I think that's an error. Again, at the start of 18, uh, start of 22, he's, he's, offer, he's meant to offer Isaac as a dedication, not as a sacrifice. So something's gone wrong there. He says, and now the obedient father is asked to place the boy on the altar and give him back to God. <laughs> really? And he says, how have you, see the jump here? How have you responded to life's most frightening moments? Wow, what a huge jump. He says, those are the times that identify what we're made of inside. At the very moment when Abraham's horrible time is at hand, Abraham gave it a curious name. One not found in the Bible before this occasion, not like this. He called it worship. He says, the lad and I will worship. Whatever happened to Genesis 18, 2? Like, that's mentioned nowhere here. Can you imagine a more profound, more moving portrait of the power of faith? Yeah, I can imagine a lot than a father trying to sacrifice and kill their child. He says, Abraham is prepared to give all that he has, all that is precious to him. No, it's not all that he has. It's his son. And that's not all that he has. And this, by the way, I believe ruins the marriage. Sarah dies of heartache quick after this, um, or soon after this, him and she and Abraham never speak again after this in the biblical text. This isn't a good thing, and I think it's sad that Christians portray it that way. Uh, Abraham is prepared to give all he has, all his precious to him, back to the one who gave it to him. 
And look at this jump. It's the fireman rushing into the flames. Well, it's only the fireman rushing into the analogy only works then if the fireman's rushing into the flames while taking his son in who and endangering his son and his son somehow has a bucket of water and is able to put the fire out. I don't know. Like the analogy just doesn't hold. And then he goes, it's the unreserved commitment to service through sacrifice. Abraham loved his son. Like any father, he would no doubt have given his own life to save his child. Well, why didn't he? But God has asked him for something more demanding, to give him the child. No, God didn't ask him that. God asked him to dedicate the child. No more painful request could be imagined. It's an all-or-nothing commitment, complete dedication. There's no way for us to be half-crucified with Christ. Whoa, what a jump there. There's no way to pick up half the cross and follow him. Where did that come from? Like, way out of left field. There's no way to be half-refined by the fires of purification. What? True worship is true sacrifice. Oh my goodness. It's a hard truth, but it's only the beginning. He says, let's delve a little bit deeper into this profound ancient narrative. So, I mean, this is kind of crazy. Maybe he'll, and he goes right back into Genesis 22 again, it looks like there. But what I want you to see is that this law of first mention, if you try to follow it, allows you to come up with creative homiletical stuff, but it ends up taking a lot out of context, like a whole lot. Um, and it allows... <laughs> Uh, you to make these wild accusations and jumps because the word was used in one story and you're trying to like apply that then to a later story and then to another story and it just doesn't always work that way and it rarely works that way the law of, of first mention is garbage 99 percent of the time and we have to be careful of that this is it's uh you know, when I read scripture, I use a biblical theology approach, not a systematic theology. And this tries to head in the direction of biblical theology, but falls woefully short and is woefully inadequate and is very dangerous because uh, it promotes itself under the guise of a biblical theological approach, but ends up doing a sort of half-baked systematic theology approach. Uh, you know, we can think, for example, of like early in Genesis, you have the mention um, of, uh, in Genesis 2, of Satan. He's described as a snake or a serpent, right? And, okay, well, if you think that's the case, that um, or that's the first mention of a serpent. It's the first mention really of Satan. Satan is a serpent. That's described that way in Revelation as well. But does that mean, then, that every mention of a snake or a serpent in the scriptures is somehow satanic. Well, what about numbers? In Numbers 21 9, uh, you have this uh, serpent on a pole. It's that medical symbol that uh, we all know of. And when then when you go to the Gospel of John, John uh, chapter 3, I think it's John 3 14, right before John 3 16, uh, we actually read that this is. A, a, a type of Christ. So we have a typological thing going on here. It's not satanic at all. So the law of first mention falls flat on its face there. And we, we could do this with a lot of things. Um, you know, you have the idea that uh, Eve makes the, the first mistake, or you could do Adam and Eve together. Let's just do that. Adam and Eve together. 
So does that, they, they sin together. Does that mean every couple we meet in scripture sins together or has to sin together? That, that's the lens we're supposed to read them through? By no means. By no means. So uh, this law of first mention, I said we were going to look at uh, Genesis 18.22, and, and we can look there um, briefly. So let me pull that up. This law of first mention is in a lot of ways just um, a joke. It's really just a joke. Um, and if you hear someone appealing to this by name or noticing that they're doing it, be very, very wary. So if you go to Genesis 18.2 uh, in English, you do get this language of and bowed low or bowed down. NIV says bowed low. The word in Greek is proskunesin uh, from proskuneo, and it occurs about 247 times. This is the first time it occurs in Genesis. That's correct. And in the Hebrew, um, we get he uh, the word right here. Uh, uh, from Shacha, which has the idea of to bow. And so bowing here connotes worship. Um, now, we read of other places in Scripture where, uh, where um, people bow and they're not worshiping. Right. Um, so Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites, later in Genesis 23, 7. Does that mean that he's worshiping them? Uh, no, it's in the Greek. It's the same. Right. So this is this is very silly. We, we see this um, in, in Genesis uh, 23, 12. Um, we get it again. Uh, in the Greek, and it has nothing to do uh, with Abraham's bowing again before the people of the land. And the same thing, we get, we get the same word in Hebrew with the, the form of shacha, but it's literally the same same exact form, vayishtachu. And Abraham is not worshiping. Um, in Genesis 24, 26, we do get someone bowing down to worship the Lord. And then same thing in 2448 um, and in various places. But it doesn't always mean that. Um, otherwise, we're getting idolatry, people bowing down before people's idolatry. In Genesis 33, 3, uh, we have, I, I wonder if this is the story of Jacob and Esau. I can't remember, but you have one uh brother bowing down to another seven times that means worshiping him seven times because we go back to the first occurrence of this word in genesis no but it's the same word and uh and genesis 33 3 so it's silly we gotta just be really careful about this sort of thing this is where again knowing the languages really really helps and really really comes in handy and prevents people from pulling the wool over your eyes so easily. Uh, just in a few minutes, we can uh, debunk a popular theory that's put out there just by knowing a little bit about the language. All right, I'm going to stop there for now. And um, just know that the law of first mention or the hermeneutic of first mention is to be avoided.
All right, friends, I hope you're well, and I hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glossa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.